0: The reading today is the uh, Book of Obadiah. The Vision of Obadiah. This is what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise and let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, Oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive you and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, men of understanding in the mountains of Esau. Your warriors, O Teman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth, And foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth. In the day of their disaster, you should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink as be and be as if they had never been but on mount zion will be deliverance it will be holy and the house of jacob will possess its inheritance the house of jacob will be a fire and the house of joseph a flame the house of esau will be stubble and they will set it on fire and consume it There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau. And the kingdom will be the Lord's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: You will want to have Obadiah open. Uh, in front of you, uh, it's, if you've got a pew Bible, it's page 925 and 926, and uh, as we go into this we should think, well why should you read the book of Obadiah? Well, it's in God's word, and that has been given to us uh, so that we might uh, understand who God is, and understand what he's done for us. Uh, another reason is that one day as we've already mentioned in the service uh, we're going to all catch up together in glory and so you're going to meet the prophet Obadiah and it would be good if you know what he'd written Uh, so that's a good reason Um, and just to say the book of Obadiah so it's one of the 66 books of the Bible so you only have 65 more to go today and you've read the whole of the scriptures so there's that too now when you're thinking about um, the book of Obadiah I think it's very good to have in your mind the world of professional wrestling. Any fans of the WWE or the, as it was called in the 80s and 90s the WWF or any British wrestling fans maybe you were a big fan of Giant Haystacks, Big Daddy one of those. I as a young person growing up in kids grove just down the road in the 80s was a huge fan of american wrestling and my favorite was hulk hogan and hulk hogan was very well known because he was very identifiable he used to wear yellow and red he used to have a bandana a gigantic handlebar mustache and he used to rip his t-shirt every time he got into the ring to show his power and strength but the reason I liked Hulk Hogan more than I liked Macho Man Randy Savage, Bret the Hitman Hart, or any of the others, was because when Hulk Hogan was speaking before a wrestling match, he was better than everyone. And Hulk Hogan would, would stand there, there'd be some guy with a microphone saying, so Hulk, what do you think is gonna happen today? And he'd put the microphone into his face, and he, Hulk Hogan would stare right down the barrel of the camera, And he'd say, What you gonna do, brother, when the 24 inch pythons come running wild after you? Hmm. His 24 inch pythons were not short snakes, but the circumference of his massive biceps. He was ripped. And what I thought he did better than anyone was to declare his violent intent towards his opponents. And when we're reading the book of Obadiah, we should have that mentality in our heads. We should be thinking about a threat. A threat to bring disaster, to bring destruction, to bring justice to bear on the wicked is the voice of the prophet Obadiah. And you see it there in verse 4 this almost sounds I mean this is maybe where the wrestlers got it from okay though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars from there I will bring you down declares the Lord so this is the prophet Obadiah speaking against the people of Edom we'll find out more about them later on And bringing a message that the Lord is coming in his judgment against them. Prepare yourselves for what is coming. So we get that from verses uh, 1 and uh, 1 there. But The vision of Obadiah, the introduction. This is what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord, an envoy was sent to the nations, to many nations, rise and let's go against her, that's Edom, for battle. And then from verse 2, it's the Lord directly addressing Edom herself. See, I will make you small among the nations, you will be utterly despised. And what is the issue that's going on with Edom? Why is the Lord particularly wanting to bring his judgment against Edom? Well, the, the, the single word answer to that is pride. And you can see that in verse 3. Pride. The pride of your heart has deceived you. Now, if you were to go out into the street today and you were just to ask people, can you just tell me what pride means? You probably aren't going to get the biblical definition of what pride is. Pride as a deep sin. As Augustine, Bishop of Hippo, called it, the mother of all sins, pride. Now we'll probably have the, the common usage of the word in terms of someone saying, I'm proud of you, right? Or I'm, I'm proud of that piece of work, okay? And you, we can use that positively. I can take, take pride in my nation, or I can take pride in my local team, or I can we can have a sense of of pride. But actually the pride that the Lord is talking about here is the pride that wants to get everyone's attention that it might receive the glory due to its own name. The kind of prestige economy which builds itself up as it pushes other people down and you can spot it by the way that you're quick to point out what you did well and you're reluctant to celebrate the successes of those you are competing with for attention in a particular area. Who are you unwilling to build up when they're not around in front of others? Who are you quick to undermine their achievements? And part of that is pride. Where are you eager to sort of say, Hey, everyone, uh, I hope everyone noticed what I've been doing. It's a version of pride. C.S. Lewis talked about a deeper, darker, more degraded version of pride that actually isn't trying to win popularity, but has become so darkened and twisted that it doesn't care what anyone else thinks because why would their opinions matter? They are so far beneath me that I don't care what they think. And that human instinct, the heart of the human problem being the problem of the human heart, is that pride is there. And it has been there throughout the whole of the human race since Genesis 3 and the fall of Adam and Eve that we have become in in se, turned in on ourselves. Our hearts should be pointed out and up. But they actually turn inward and they can become smaller and more twisted, more condensed as they start to be deceived by pride. And this is the mark of Satan. Satan had pride in his heart. Ezekiel 28 tells us that in his fall, in the fall of Satan, the pride of his heart had deceived him. And what we'll see as we go through Obadiah, and then as we take a look at Jesus, we'll see that, of course, pride must be opposed to the living God because the living God is marked by humility. As Jesus says, I am humble of heart. But here the Lord is breathing out his intent to bring down the people of Edom because of their pride. Though you soar like an eagle, Make your nest among the stars. From there I will bring you down. And now we're going to just go through a very quick list of things that the people of Eden were trusting in that the Lord says, oh, when I bring my judgment, that is nothing to trust in at all. Your position is actually quite precarious. The first thing the people of Eden might be tempted to trust in is their advantageous terrain. Their position. Though you make your Home in the clefts of the rocks, in the heights, verse 3. They lived in the mountains. Now I'm no military strategist, but I'm told that having the high ground is quite helpful when it comes to fighting a war. And Edom were people who lived up in the mountains, therefore they thought, oh, we can see everyone coming. We've We've got the upper Upper hand, we have the upper ground, we are in a position of control, we've got gravity on our side. The Lord says you can't trust in that. And people today might be trusting in their geographical location, they might be living in quite a nice house, in quite a nice street, with quite a nice garden. And they might look on the news at all the terrible things that are happening elsewhere and think, well, we'll be okay. Because look, look where we are. We're all right. The Lord says you can't trust in that. The second thing the Lord says they can't trust in is that the Lord will get bored or spooked when he is bringing his judgment. Verse 5. He says, if thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came, wouldn't they leave a few grapes? You see, thieves might get spooked by a a dog barking or an alarm going off or the police turning up and then run away. The Lord, when He comes to bring His judgment, will not stop until He has finished. They can't trust that the Lord is going to get distracted. Third thing, uh, their ability to hide things. Verse uh, 6, how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. How good are you at hiding things? You know, they say you can fool, uh, is it, some of the people, some of the time, some of the people all the time. All the people, some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. Apparently. I don't think that's true. I think there's quite a few people who managed to get themselves to their death. And no one knew what was going on. Apparent secrets that they took with them to the grave. The Lord says you can't even hide in death from me. I see everything. Your ability to clear that internet history or your ability to move the money around or your ability just to think those things in your mind the Lord sees it all and the Lord will be able to ransack Esau's hidden treasures Uh, a fourth thing, verse 7 how good are you at making friends and influencing people? networking Having a good uh, group of people that you can rely on and trust, the Lord says that that is no hope when he brings his judgment. He says all your allies will force you to the border, your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. See, that little line there, you will not detect it. It's interesting how often arrogance goes hand in hand with ignorance. Because the arrogant don't check because they already know. Arrogance and ignorance. And here they've been deceived by those that they thought they could trust. They thought they were in control of these relationships. The Lord says, no, when I bring my judgment even that is no safety against me. You can't trust in those things. You can't also trust in being a big brain boy. Verse uh, 8. In that day will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, the men of understanding in the mountains of Esau? How many have set themselves up with their brilliant intellect to show their understanding is far superior than that of Jesus of Nazareth? Than that of the living God of scripture. Who can point to many, many degrees. Many libraries of leather bound books. And they can say. We understand. We're far too smart for this Christian thing. Will those wise men of Edom not be destroyed? You can't trust in your brains and you can't trust in your brawn. Your 24-inch pythons are not going to help you. Your warriors, O taman will be terrified and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. So here's the Lord saying, from there I will bring you down. You cannot trust in all these things. Your position is precarious before me. Whatever it is that you think is going to stand up against the Lord's judgment when he brings it, it's not going to work. I will bring you down. God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. It will come. One question we might have is why these people, why now? Okay, surely if everyone is the same, all have fallen short of the glory of God, we're all sinners None of us are perfect. Why is the Lord keen to speak to this group of people at this particular time through the prophet Obadiah? Well, it's explained for us in verse, uh, verse 10. So look down at verse 10. You will see who Edom is. Okay, It says this. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you'll be covered with shame. So you see, there were, two, there were twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. We read about them in Genesis 25. Isaac and Rebekah. Um, Rebekah gets pregnant, and she has two nations in her womb. Two little boys are going to grow up to be the fathers of great nations. One of them is Jacob. Jacob's 12 lads become Israel's 12 dads. You remember that? And then Jacob and Esau will become the father of Edom. And so they've grown up together and they've grown up side by side. And now they're neighboring nations. And the people of Israel have been humiliated. It says their foreigners have entered their gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. Jerusalem has fallen to foreign invaders. And the Lord is coming to Edom. Okay, he's coming to Esau. Esau to confront him about his attitude and behavior towards Israel in the day of their destruction. Did you remember that? It was repeated in the day of their misfortune, in the day of their destruction. So here's what they've done, and we'll see as it progressively gets worse. The first thing they do is actually to stand off to one side, looking down their noses. Okay. First thing they do, verse 11, on the day you stood aloof, Verse 11, and then verse 12, you should not look down on your brother. So the attitude there is the, the folded hands, they're looking over the shoulder and just going, oh, well, of course you deserve that because you're awful. That wouldn't happen to me. Looking down on people on the day of their misfortune. Not showing compassion or interest, but saying, yes, they got exactly what was coming to them. If they'd only been a bit more like me, it wouldn't have happened to them. And it doesn't have to just exist on a national level. It can exist on a personal level too. Who are the people whose lives start to fall apart at some level and you think, oh, of course, I knew it would happen. Looking down, aloof, from your nest in the stars, your great high position. But then it gets worse. Uh, Verse 12, you should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of uh, Judah in the day of their destruction. Rejoicing, celebration, not standing like this, but actually happy, actually celebrating, actually popping a bottle of champagne, filling a a flute and just glug, 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 a toast to the destruction of these terrible people. Three cheers. It's a bit like, uh, what's his name? Is it Nelson from the Simpsons? Nelson Muntz. Do you know that character? The school bully. What does he do? He points at the bad things and he goes, ha ha. That's, that's just what he says. He's just not, that's his, his, his catchphrase is ha ha said to someone who's just had a bad thing happen to them.
0: Ha ha.
1: The Lord says you can't do that. Edom. But then it gets even worse. Verse 13, they start to join in. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. See now, picture two brothers going to, or twin brothers, going to high school, right? Go to secondary school, off they go, and one of them is in the corridor there's always a corridor. i'm sort of thinking high school movies from you know america right but in the lockers and there they are the school bullies have grabbed the one of the twins and there he is on the floor his bag's been torn open his books are everywhere his apple because in these things they always have an apple for a teacher and there's cash money on the floor and the twin brother approaches And he walks up, grabs some coins, puts them in his pocket, grabs some notes, puts them in his pocket, and walks off. How dare you? Look down on your brother and seize his wealth in the day of his misfortune. And then this is where it, it is actually chilling in verse 14 what happens here. When you genuinely think this through you should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble imagine waiting for fleeing fugitives, refugees people whose houses have been ransacked and then carrying them back to their invaders to be dealt with You missed one, but it's okay, we got him for you. Here he is. Now the Lord uh, broadens his uh, perspective in verse 15 from simply thinking just about uh, Edom to thinking about all nations. It says here, The day of the Lord is near for all nations. Judgment is coming. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. And then the image of justice or judgment that is given here is of drinking. So just as you drank your champagne, three cheers for the destruction of Jerusalem. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they never had been. The idea of God's wrath being in a large cup which must be drunk down to its dregs. And this is where if we know our Bibles we're starting to see where this is pointing us to the need and the fulfillment of our salvation in Jesus. The idea of a cup that must be drunk down to receive the wrath and judgment of God against sin. Think of Gethsemane. Think of Jesus praying in the uh, Garden of uh, Olives the night before he was, uh, well, the night he was betrayed. And think of Jesus praying in that garden and him saying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Jesus knowing that he's come to drink the cup of God's wrath that he might save his people. And then in drinking that wrath on the cross that he might then be able to offer to us another cup, the cup of forgiveness of sins in the blood of Christ. So from that starting point, we can actually go back over what we've heard about Edom and see how Jesus is the very photo negative, the opposite, the reversal of the Edom story is the story of Christ our Saviour. We said before his heart was not proud, his heart is humble. Philippians tells us that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking on the nature of a servant, being found in his appearance a man, humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. The Lord never said, the father never said to the son, I will bring you down. The father said of the son, I am sending you. I send you. And the son willingly came to be our brother. To leave his lofty position in the, above the stars and to be born as a baby of Bethlehem. And to be there on a day of great misfortune betrayed by his friends who shared his bread with him. Receiving the mockery and scorn of those who rejoiced in the day of his misfortune on the cross and that Jesus Christ was raised up such that we can say on Mount Zion there was deliverance verse 17 and the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance and we'll finish uh, by looking at these last few verses uh, kind of as one by thinking about this is now the Lord saying that Israel so go to verse 21 you'll see this deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau so now what did belong to Edom what did belong to Esau is now going to be reclaimed and repurposed for the living God and for the people of the church of Old Testament Israel in this case the Lord likes to take things which were used against him and then to turn them over to convert them to be used for him This is the way it is with all sinners who are brought to repentance and given new life. That which was used against God and against God's people is reclaimed and repurposed to be used for him. Most striking example I can think of is the Apostle Paul who before his conversion was determined to destroy the church and through his conversion ended up building the church, and writing most of the New Testament. Think of the sword of Goliath, right? The only time it was actually ever used in Scripture is when it's actually used not against God's people, but by David to take off Goliath's head so that the enemy of God's people has been dealt with. Now, when we uh, lived in the States, uh, we had... uh, often caused to go to the thrift store, which is the American for charity shop. Okay? A little language uh, study for you there. There was one that I loved, which was called Heaven's Treasures. What do you think you would find in Heaven's Treasures? Well, it was a few children's picture books with pages ripped out. It was... Some overwashed and slightly stretched clothes. <laughs> it was some pieces of furniture that had been cobbled back together. It was some bags of fairly unbouncy tennis balls that you could buy for a dollar. But it was lots of stuff that could be gathered and then used again, used for a new purpose. And that is, in fact, what the church is it's a bunch of people. Who've been gathered, rescued from their pride, to be used now for a new purpose, to be the treasures of heaven. That is what this church here at in Audley is. It is heaven's treasures. And we can be confident that, as it says in, at the end of Obadiah, the kingdom will be the Lord's. If we're anxious about anything. We can look to Christ. We can see that one of humble of heart has been raised up to heaven to be the king forever. And that as his people, we can rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.